we could do that all day, huh? I'm glad you made it here today, and I would encourage you to uh, take your Bibles. Let's open our Bibles together. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, uh, you'll notice our ushers are coming around. They would love to give you a copy, and if you don't own a Bible, if you don't have one at home, please, would you just take that one with you? Consider it a gift. We want you to have a copy of God's Word, or you can follow along on the Bible app. Uh, you can go to more events and uh, follow along. You'll find our church there. You can follow along in the Scriptures and take notes. We want to get into the Bible. Please do not miss the significance of those words that I just said. Let's open our Bibles. Those are some of the most important words that you will hear every Sunday when we gather together. And what I'm hoping this morning is that we will, uh, our hearts will be stirred with thanksgiving for this book because Christians around the world and through the ages have not always gotten to do this. This Tuesday, uh, we're going to be celebrating a holiday. And I know that uh, many of you are going to be out uh, disguising your identity with some sort of freaky, goofy costume of some sort. Some of you are going to be stealing Snicker bars from your kids, which no judgment here. You totally have the right to do, right? You can exact the mommy-daddy tax. That's a great time to do it. Uh, those of you, some, some of you may be like, well, I don't have kids, but uh, it doesn't matter whether I'm well past the age where it would be creepy. I'm still planning on trick-or-treating anyway. That's fine. I would tell you, just so you know, uh, this might be helpful for you. I, I've heard that at the Murphy household, uh, they, uh, they, don't, they don't like skimp. They're not going with those little fun size. They're like getting legit candy bars. That's on University Drive if you need a little bit of help. Uh, so I want you to go have some fun, enjoy it, eat some candy, but it's also a really special holiday for those of us in the church. In my household, we call it Reformation Day, and this year is especially important because this year marks the 500th anniversary of the start of the Reformation. It was 500 years ago this Tuesday on October 31st, 1517, that a German monk named Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door at Wittenberg, that door right there. You say, what in the world was that? Well, the 95 Theses, it was kind of like a whole paper where he wrote, it's basically 95 sentences. It doesn't take long. In fact, we actually read it together as a family this week. It's not going to take you long if you read through it. But what was happening was Martin Luther started reading the Bible and then was looking at what the Catholic, Roman Catholic Church was teaching and what they were doing, and he had some concerns. He started realizing that we're, we're not teaching the stuff that's in here, and, and they're, they're asking people to, to give money to the church so that they can get their dead relatives out of purgatory, and where's that in the Bible? And, 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 and so what he wanted to do was nail these 95, it's kind of like a bulletin board, like, okay, we need to discuss these things publicly because he wanted to reform the church. It was kind of, a, kind of a protest, if you will. And that moment, historians look back and say, sparked the Reformation that literally changed the world. There's a video that was put out by R.C. Sproul and Ligonier Ministries that I want to show you. I hope this will help kind of capture the essence of what the Reformation was all about and maybe put this into a little bit of context for you. So watch this. 500 years ago, a 
German monk named Martin Luther started a protest that exploded into a worldwide movement. At that time, Europe lived in the shadow of the Roman Catholic Church, and that was more like an empire than a church. It crowned and cast down kings and used its dominance to keep people in the darkness of superstition. That sounds pretty unfamiliar, but in some ways, Luther's day was very much like our own. Just like today, everyone had an opinion about the Bible, even though almost no one actually read it. Like so many of us, they were trusting the thought leaders and tastemakers of their own day to tell them what was in the Bible and whether or not to believe it. Luther was one of the very few people actually reading the Bible, and what he found was earth-shattering. Even though he was a monk, Luther hated the God of the Bible. But when he studied it, the world around him began to make sense. God made sense. The significance of Jesus became clear to him. He discovered the answer to his deepest questions. How could evil be overcome? Specifically, how could his own evil, his own sin, be dealt with? Luther discovered that he couldn't do anything to fix this problem himself. He had to rely on the finished work of Christ alone. Luther had discovered a central truth. It changed his life, and it changed the world. The Protestant Reformation was about two things. It was about who can say what's true, and it was about how to reconcile who we are with who God is. It recognized that God's word is the ultimate authority in this world, and that the perfect life and sacrificial death of Jesus Christ are the only answer for evil and the only basis on which sinners can stand before a holy God. Protestant Reformation is a story of transformation, a transformation from hate to love, from slavery to freedom, and from blind faith to a glorious discovery of the truth in Jesus Christ. So just imagine, if you will, you go to church, but there's no let's open our Bibles. And in fact, the, 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 the church leaders, you go there and the priests and whoever's up front, all they do is, is they start reading to you out of something in a language you don't know how to speak. They start reading in Latin. Now, I know like some of you uh, may have studied Latin, but if, if I was just opening up and reading from Latin, how many of you would not have a clue as to what I was saying? Anybody in here? Okay, neither did they. And so what was happening was they just had to trust whatever their church leaders were saying, and there was no way for them to know otherwise. And so God used Martin Luther and some of the other reformers to point people to the gospel of Jesus by putting the Bible back into the hands of everyday people. And out of it, we, uh, out of the Reformation, we've got these principles. One of them, which is the title of our sermon this morning, sola scriptura. It's a Latin phrase that means scripture alone. We don't need anything else. This, the Bible is sufficient. It is our final authority in all spiritual matters. This book can change your life. And so it's an incredible privilege for us, isn't it? to be able to say, let's open our Bibles. Can I, can I just say, like, you need to know this. If you ever stop hearing those words every Sunday, stop coming to this church. Because you don't need a message from a man. The big idea in our text 
in 2 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. This big idea that I think is actually affirmed by the testimony of church history is this. You can note it. I need God's word. I need God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. So anytime that I ask you this morning, hey church, what do you need? Here's what I want you to say. I want you to answer, I need God's word. Got it? All right, let's test this out. Anytime that I ask you, church, hey, are you listening? What do I need? I need God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Many of you may have these memorized. These are really foundational scriptures for us on understanding what God's word is. Follow along. Verse 16, as I read, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I need God's word. But out of this text, I want to give you uh, two declarations that will change your life. Okay? Here's the first. Note this. God's word is my authority. God's word is my authority. Because when it says all scripture is breathed out by God, that's that's a fascinating little phrase there, okay? In in the Greek, breathed out by God is actually one word. It's theonoustos. Theo meaning God, noustos meaning breath or to breathe. And, And literally, this is the only time that it's used in the New Testament. In fact, it seems that it's the only time it was used anywhere. It's possible that Paul literally just made this word up because he's like, I need something to be able to describe what's going on here. And I think it really captures the essence of what the Bible is and an important in doctrine that we, we call the inspiration of Scripture. These words were inspired by God in its original manuscripts. And so, so we would say this, yes, men physically put pen to paper and they wrote down the words that you are reading, but it was God's Holy Spirit that supernaturally inspired, literally breathed the words into human authors. In fact, Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 1. You can see it on the screen. He said, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men. Listen, men spoke from God. Here's how. As they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, so some people have said it's kind of like a sailboat. If you've got a sailboat on the water, if it's a sailboat, it's not going anywhere without the wind, right? But when the wind shows up, it, it carries it along the sea. Well, that's the picture here that God is breathing, kind of filling the sails, if you will, of men so that they're carried along. It's, this is, it's not just these men's idea. It's God's word breathed into them. And, and Paul is saying here that it's all scripture is breathed out by God. Every single word from Genesis to Revelation, not just the concepts. It's not just some, God didn't give some summaries and expect the men to kind of fill in the details. Like, hey Moses, can you you just tell them about the time that that, that I parted the Red Sea? Go ahead and like write something down about that. Hey David, can you tell them about my steadfast love? Can you just write something about, oh I like that, I like how you said that, that's really good. Or or, um, Paul, can you just expound on justification? You're long-winded, how about you just write a couple chapters on that one? Or, Or we've got this, I got this theological concept that I need to get across. Does anybody have any creative ideas on how we can express that? and how we can, that's not what's happening. It's God's word in and through these 
men. All of the Bible. These are God's words. Do you know, that's a massive claim, isn't it? Because if we say that this is God's word, then it becomes authoritative. And so this is where we start to lose people. That's a massive claim for us to say, and we better know how to defend that. I, was, I had an opportunity to share the gospel with someone this week. I went out to lunch with him, met him a few weeks ago, I was sharing the gospel with him. And of course, this is one of the points, and maybe this has happened to you at some point where you're trying to tell him about Jesus. This is one of the arguments that they use to try to argue against what we're saying. So at some point they, in the conversation, they just kind of interrupt and go, oh, well, you know, the Bible. I mean, I hope, you know, men could have come along and just made that up, right? You ever heard this? It's kind of like a, a conspiracy or, or uh, winners write the history books kind of thing. So it's really important for us to know because is, is the Bible actually God's word? Either it is or it isn't. If it's not, then hey, you get to sleep in on Sunday mornings and there's no need for you to like do your daily Bible reading. You don't need it because it's not authoritative. But I want to encourage you a little bit. I want to, I want to, there's many avenues that we could go, but I want to give you some evidence that I think is most compelling to me to help us understand what this is that we're holding in our hands. And the evidence that I would point you to is the testimony of Jesus. What does Jesus say about this? Jesus tells us that the Bible, all of it, is God's word. Can I build a case for that? Can I do that? Let's, let's build a case for that. First, I would say it this way. Jesus tells us that the Old Testament is God's word. You know, the Old Testament was written before he came on the scene. All of the New Testament was written after he'd already ascended into heaven. So while he's on earth, he actually, many times, he gets out the scriptures, he starts reading them, he starts quoting them. In fact, when he's tempted by Satan, what's he doing? When he's tempted by Satan, he's quoting scripture, isn't he? I've got this on the screen, Matthew chapter 4. He's actually quoting from Deuteronomy. It said, but Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so Jesus often quoted from the scriptures. He quoted Moses and, and David and the prophets. He quoted a lot of the Old Testament and he trusted all of it. Even the crazy stories, like we saw this summer when we were going through Jonah, and there's that crazy story about a, a, a big fish that swallowed a man. Jesus said it was true. Jesus claimed that the Old Testament was God's word. And then he went one step further. The second thing I would tell you is that Jesus claimed that his own words were God's word. Listen to what he said here, John chapter 12 Verses 49 to 50, he said, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to, see, what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So anything that we have that actually Jesus said here in the Gospels, all the stuff that's in red in your Bibles, all of that, Jesus claims his words are 
God's word. And so, so far, we've built a case that, that, that the Old Testament is God's word, and we've also built a case that the, the words in red, everything that Jesus said is God's word. But what about, the, what about the, everything that the New Testament authors wrote? You know, like, like Matthew and Mark and Luke and, and, and Peter and, and, and Paul. I mean, because honestly, they, they didn't write that stuff down on the spot. It was a whole lot more years after Jesus ascended that they wrote those things. So couldn't they have forgotten some of those details and gotten some of the details mixed up? And should we trust what Paul said? years after Jesus. Jesus wasn't even around. Like, like we're, we're supposed to assume that, that, that Jesus was okay with everything that, that Paul said. Well, I would tell you this. This is really important. Jesus, while he was on earth, promised to send the Holy Spirit. Uh, look at this on the screen. John ch- chapter 14, verse 26. He said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Meaning, Jesus didn't do all of the teaching while he was on earth that he expected to be in the Bible. He was expecting the Holy Spirit to come along and do some of that. And and what does it say? He's going to bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is really awesome because you just got to know that when Jesus is teaching, they don't have their moleskin journal out. They're not live tweeting the Sermon on the Mount while it's happening. They didn't have to because God was going to send the Holy Spirit to bring to their remembrance, spark their memory so that they would have an accuracy in their account. And then look what he says in John 16. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you all the things that are to come. So the things that the Holy Spirit inspired for the New Testament writers were God's word. God inspired their writings. So that means that it's not Jesus' teaching versus the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching is Jesus' teaching. This is God's word. And Jesus tells us beforehand, before it happens, that we can trust everything that the apostles will, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, write down as the very words of God. And so let me just say it this way. We've just substantiated an argument that Jesus has said that the Old Testament is God's word. And everything that Jesus said is God's word. And then everything that came after in the New Testament is God's word. So guess what Jesus says? Jesus says the whole Bible is God's word. Now the question then is, can we trust Jesus? Do you trust Jesus? I think the reason that we have great confidence to trust Jesus is because his resurrection. Think about it. He prophesied his death and his resurrection. In fact, while he was on earth, he predicted it three times. He said, guys, listen, listen. I'm I'm going to die in Jerusalem, and then three days later, I'm going to come back to life. Now, if he said that and didn't do it, then he's a false prophet, a liar, and not somebody to be trusted. Or or maybe he said it and wasn't able to do it, and he's just kind of a crazy lunatic and not somebody that you want to follow. Or he actually did it. And I'm telling you, there's incredible evidence to believe that it is historical fact, that it is not only rational, it is not only reasonable, but it is right to believe that Jesus is alive. He is who he says he is. I can trust what he says. And guess what he says about our Bible? This is God's word. Do you understand the significance of what he just did? He was helping us understand the authority by which we can know God, which makes this book really unique. Doesn't it? I think about this book here, the Book of Mormon. We're, we're told in the, 
the one who wrote this, this is one man's account of his encounter with an angel named Moroni. Problem? Nobody else was there. Nobody else was there to see it. So there's nobody else that can verify. In fact, there's another book. This is the Quran. Maybe you've heard of this. This is another man's account. He's the only one there. Apparently, he had a vision from the angel Gabriel. No other eyewitnesses were there. But this book, written over a thousand years across three continents with all of its internal consistency with thousands of manuscripts that are still available to us today with hundreds of eyewitnesses who saw his resurrection, the blood of martyrs who saw him alive and those who gave their lives on account of their testimony convinced that yes, while it's comprised of about 40 different authors, it was written under the inspiration of one. This is God's word. And so if all scripture is breathed out by the God who is the creator who spoke the universe into existence and who is sovereign over all that he has made. Then when we open the pages of this book, we are listening to the authority for our lives. Isn't that special? We proclaim the authority of God's word without apology. I hope you always hear as we begin to preach, let's open our Bibles. Because when he speaks, that settles it. I gotta be honest with you, I don't understand sometimes I'm, I'm like sitting across from people and, and I'm not trying to tell you my opinion, I'm trying to tell you what God's word says and I don't know how somebody who claims to be a follower of Christ could look at what God's word and say, yeah, I don't wanna do that. Like I get it, because we wrestle with it. I get it because I struggle with it because it points out things that I don't want to hear about. And it's placing its authority over me. But can we just be honest? If we ever approach the Bible as skeptics, it's probably not because we have a rational problem. It's probably because we have an authority problem. So what was happening in the Reformation the question that they were asking is, who can say what is true? Who is the authority? And you got to understand, 500 years ago, the church, it was the center of power. It was really kind of a political machine. They, they were the ones that had all, they could call the shots. In fact, the king, he could always say, you know, the emperor, he could always kill somebody and have them uh, thrown, you know, thrown in prison or chop their head off or whatever. The pope could always come back and say, yeah, well, you're excommunicated or you're going to hell. He always had that trump card. And so it was kind of, uh, uh, there was no separation of church and State, but the problem was these powers that were, that were there, they weren't teaching what was in the Bible. And nobody had Bibles to be able to read it and to be able to verify. And so these reformers came along and started to understand the authority is not a priest. It's not a pastor. It's not an opinion. You don't need a word from any man. Hey church, what do you need? Come on, somebody say, I need God's word. Can I say it this way? Yeah, like, you don't even need your pastor's word. Don't take my word for it. I'm not the authority. In fact, I love that, that in, the old, uh, in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 17, there were these, some believers that were commended. They were called the Bereans. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, it, it says that Paul is teaching them. He's preaching to them. And it says that they received the word with all 
Excuse me, I gotta get this down here. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Your pastor is not your authority. What do you need? We need God's word. So there were men that were convinced of this, one of whom is John Huss. You ever heard of John Huss? John Huss lived about 100 years before Martin Luther. And as he was reading scripture, he was looking at the Pope's abuse of power and, and he saw the priests and he saw all the moral failings in the church. And so he, uh, he had his pulpit. He started preaching against it. He started denouncing all of the leader's moral failures and started helping people understand the papal authority is not ultimate. Instead, he started looking to the Bible. You just got to know that didn't go over really well with the church. So you know what they did? They arrested him and they ordered him to recant. And Greg Morse has written this in July 1415. He was stripped naked and adorned with a dunce hat painted with devils and labeled arch heretic, all as he prayed for his enemies. Then they led him past a burning pile of his books and they chained him to the stake. They literally set a fire under him and burned him alive. It's dangerous to say that there's authority over those who are in power. We may not face that threat of persecution here, but it's becoming increasingly more dangerous for us to say, this is the authority. What I find interesting is that John Huss's name in Czech, where he was from, his name means goose. Thanks a lot, Mom. <laughs> but here's what he said when he was condemned to die by burning at the stake. He said, you may roast the goose, but a hundred years from now, a swan will arise whose singing you will not be able to silence. And it was 102 years later that Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses to the door at Wittenberg. Because Martin Luther began to be convinced of this as well. We don't need papal authority. We need to point people back to the word of God. And as he did that, you just have to know, it rocked the world. It started to spread. His ideas started to get out that we should know our Bibles. We should look to Christ. He is the ultimate authority. And guess what? That didn't really sit well with the powers that be. So you know what they did? They brought him before the, the emperor. They brought him before the pope. He's standing before the most powerful men in the world. They put all of his teachings, all of his books on the table. He said, did you write this stuff? And they ordered him to recant of it. And he needed a day to think it over. Love that. He's a hero, but he's flawed. And he comes back, and here's what he said. I love it. The next day, he stood before them, and he said, unless I am convinced by Scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is held captive to the Word of God. I cannot and I will not recant, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. Like you just stood up to the most powerful men in the world. You got to know he's a marked man. They want to kill him. 
But for some reason, they had these political reasons. They told him that he'd have safe passage home, but his friends knew otherwise. And so while he's going home, his friends literally capture him and they take him to this castle, the castle Wartburg, and they hide him away because they know he's a dead man if, they get, if, if, he, if he gets caught. And while he's up in the tower in the castle Wartburg, you know what he's doing? He started to translate from the Greek New Testament into German, and he translated the entire New Testament into German in just 11 weeks. Now, why would he do that? Why would he, why would he do that? Because he wanted to get God's word back into the hands of God's people. And what was started there was a passion for the word of God, for the Bible that started to spread around the world. We're incredibly thankful for those that would stand up for the truth. One of the men that we're thankful for around this time was William Tyndale. William Tyndale, around the time, right at, just years after this Reformation had sparked, he was from England, and he was talking one day to a clergyman, and this clergyman wanted to tell him that the Pope is the authority. I love what he said. He said, I defy the Pope and all his laws. If God spare my life ere many years, I will cause a boy that drives the plow shall know more of the scriptures than you. I love that he even wanted the farmers to have God's word in their hands because he understood you, we, we need to get these, the word into the hands of the people. And so what he did in the next couple of years, he translated the New Testament into English. And then he started smuggling the Bible back into England. But again, it's, it's dangerous when people in power who want to be the authority are challenged by the authority of God's word. And so... He was eventually betrayed by his friend. And in 1536, just a few years after the Reformation had started, at 42 years old, he was strangled and burned at the stake. And a few weeks ago, I, I saw a quote by Tony Ranke that I thought was really appropriate for us today. He said, every day I take for granted the blood shed and the flesh burned in order for me to have the Bible in English. Are you thankful for the fact that we can say, let's open our Bibles? What you hold in your hand is incredible. It's hard for us to say that it's my authority when I hardly ever open it, don't really read it, don't have it memorized. Wouldn't have a clue what verse to turn to if I had to defend it. And all the while, God wants to speak to you every day. What a privilege that we have. That He would use the Reformation to point His church back to His Word so that we should submit to His authority. But here's the second declaration that can change your life. Note this. God's Word equips me. God's Word equips me. All Scripture, it says, is breathed out by God and profitable, meaning there's, there's great benefit to reading the Bible. God's going to use His Word. I've heard it said this way, that, that the, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to conform the man or woman into the image of God. Christ. He's going to make us more like Jesus. And so what he's saying is this, this word, what you have in your hands is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training. Or we might say it this way, what is right, what is wrong, how to get right, and how to stay right. 
So, so, so this training, or excuse me, this teaching and reproof is the Bible teaching us and correcting our thinking. Correction and training is the Bible changing our actions. So, so let's just dig into this a little bit. God's word is profitable first for teaching. It's going to teach you what's true. And we're not saying that the Bible speaks to every issue on the planet. We're not saying the Bible doesn't talk about quantum physics. It doesn't give you instructions on how to assemble your Ikea furniture. But what it does do is that our creator has told us everything that we need to know for this life and to live it in a way that is godly. God's word is the truth. And only the truth will set us free from the lives that are lies that are around us that would destroy us. We are tempted all the time to believe things that are not true about ourselves, to believe things that are not true about God, to believe things that are not true about the things that are available to us in this world. And there are too many of us who know too many stories of lives that have been destroyed by these lies. Empty riches, guilt-ridden hangovers. Young women's bodies ravaged by eating disorders. Marriages broken by the seduction of an affair. Men enslaved to pornography. Children exploited. Sexual confusion, abuse of power. And, and, and even people that think they're good, they're decent, but they think they're good and so they don't need God and so they die without trusting in Jesus to save them and they enter into a Christless eternity in hell. Sin lies to us and only God's word can cut through those lies to teach us what is true about who God is, who we are, why we're here, and how we can be saved by the blood of Jesus alone in our place and how we can now live for his glory and our joy. And so I would encourage you, this is the authority. This is what we run back to. Stop looking to your trusted circle of friends on social media to tell you how to think. Whenever something comes up, it's like, oh, I gotta, I gotta see what they're saying about it. I need their opinions. I, like, I, don't, I, I need a meme or something that's gonna help me get, how am I supposed to think about this thing? L listen, your culture can't be trusted to tell you what is true. Even, even the people you love. If they are not pointing you to the word of God, you don't need their opinions. Church, what do you need? I need God's word. And so he says it's gonna, he's going to teach us. And then he also says this word, he's going to bring reproof. Reproof means he's going to bring us under conviction. It's kind of like throws a spotlight on our sin. It tells us what's wrong. And let's just be honest, okay? Nobody likes to be told that we're wrong, that, that we're the problem. But God's word helps us understand that we have a deep-seated need for Christ. And we can't fix it. Do you know that the Bible is not just a list of rules of do's and don'ts and, and, and here's some helpful advice and, and, and try this out. Maybe this will work better in your life. This is authoritative. And a lot of times it's going to help us realize we, we are unholy. We are sinners. We are in rebellion against God. And it's going to bring us under that conviction so that we know that we need Jesus. But it doesn't, it doesn't leave us there. I love this. It, it also is useful for correction. That, that idea is that it would make something straight again, kind of like setting a broken bone or, or picking you up after you've fallen. Reproof convinces us that what we're doing is wrong, and then correction shows us how to do what's right. This is happening a lot in my household, because right now my youngest son is almost 11 months, 
And there's a lot of times where I'm having to like pick him up when he's trying to crawl into the cupboards under the sink. Like, no, you may not drink Drano and bring him over here and put him in front of his toys. Yes, you may go back to chomping on old remotes. Like this is what the word of God is doing. It's helping us understand we're in the wrong place. I don't want to live my sin. I don't want to live in sin. I don't, that's going to destroy me. I want to be obedient to God's word, but I need God's word to change my thinking and my course of action. It literally picks me up off of that path and puts me back on the path that I need to be on. This is what God's word does. And it also is useful, it says, for training in righteousness, meaning building the disciplines and the habits of walking with Christ in obedience. This, it, it's not going to happen if we're not opening up the scriptures. But what's the point? What's the whole point of it? Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. You say, I want to obey God. I want it to be my authority. I love that it actually also helps equip us so that I can obey. Because without the word of God, I'm kind of like, like, a, like a car. And maybe I look good on the outside, but car doesn't come equipped with brakes or steering wheel or lights or an engine. It doesn't have what it needs in order to do what it was designed to do. So, as believers, do we have what we need to live the way God designed us? What do you need, church? I need God's Word. I hope we're just eternally grateful for this book that we hold in our hands. That He wants to make us more like Jesus. This is our authority. And this is what is going to equip us to live in a way that is pleasing to Christ. So why don't we do this? I know we did it a couple weeks ago. But why don't we stand and would you just take your Bible? And if you believe this, would you just hold your Bible up? And it might be your phone, that's fine. But we want to just declare this together. That we want to be people of the book. People that believe in the Bible. People that stand on God's Word. And I want us to be eternally grateful that He has given us this book. And so if you have your Bible, would you just hold this up and say, let's declare this together. Come on, say this with me. This is my Bible. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am going where it says I will go. God's Word is milk for my soul. God's Word is seed for my faith. God's Word is light for my path. God's Word is power for my victory. God's Word is freedom for my life. When I read God's Word, it brings me joy. When I study God's Word, it keeps me from shame. When I memorize God's Word, it purifies my heart. When I quote God's Word, it defeats my enemies. When I meditate on God's Word, it brings me success. When I abide in God's Word, it gives me confidence. I am a Bible-believing follower of Jesus Christ. Amen.